0: Hey, just a disclaimer, some of the topics I talk about in today's episode may be triggering to some people and include the talk about self-harm, depression, and suicidal thoughts. We're going to include links below on resources to find support if you or a loved one need it. I remember telling myself, I was like, I'ma play it cool, I'm not gonna text this person. I set a time of seven hours in my head for some reason. Like that was like an appropriate amount of time before asking somebody for their phone number to texting them with it. Yeah, I waited approximately 30 minutes. hi everyone it's maddie and welcome back to another episode of my new podcast closet talk thank you to everyone who has reached out so far about the show i always love hearing from you and that's honestly the reason i started this podcast to create a safe space where we can all feel seen heard and loved and if you're just now finding this show welcome i highly recommend that you go back and listen to the first three episodes because we're kind of in the middle of a six-part coming out journey here For these first six episodes, or chapters, I like to call them, I've been talking about my queer identity journey from elementary school all the way up to present day, and today we are continuing throughout my high school journey. Last episode, I talked about having my first kiss and first real relationship with a girl, getting outed and trying to date guys and be straight. As an effect of that, today I'm going to talk about the mental health issues that came from all of that wrapped up into a nice warm burrito. But first, we have our queer moment in history. If you're new here, I do this thing every week where I pick an iconic moment in queer history to add to the Hall of Fame. And today, I have chosen Love, Simon. And I think this movie, right when it came out, wasn't as controversial as it is today for some reason. Now let me explain. So, for me, Love, Simon, two boys falling in love. I had read the book, and it's actually called something different. I think it's called, like, the Homo Sapiens Journal or something like that. I don't think it's called Love, Simon. But the movie came out, and I remember it was the biggest deal in my hometown because some states or towns were actually banning that movie from being shown in theaters and so there was this like big talk of the town over whether or not they were actually going to show it in my hometown and i think i was around 17 when it came out and i remember like begging my mom to go watch this movie with me to the point where my best friend kyle and i at the time i went to go watch it with him i like dragged he's a straight dude I dragged him into this theater. We bought tickets to go see something like either Boss Baby or Storks, and we snuck into Love, Simon. This was when there wasn't like assigned seats, so you could just kind of buy tickets to a movie and go sit wherever you wanted in a different theater. And so we go and we sit, and I just was like kind of expecting this like, it's just like a gay movie, right? Two boys falling in love, you've probably heard of it before, but in my town, it was a really big moment. But there was this moment in the film, and this is why I'm adding it to the hall of fame is because he comes out to his mom just kind of blurts it out i think at like christmas like they're opening gifts and he kind of runs away from the situation which is valid it's scary i mean you probably want to dip right after saying something like that like that's what i would do it's like fight or flight right and so he leaves and then the next day the mom is like nothing changed like you're still my son i still love you you're still my boy and i don't think at that point in my life i had ever cried at a movie And I immediately started like sniffling to myself and like trying to hide my face behind like the bucket of popcorn because that moment stuck so hard with me. And I think it's become controversial because a lot of people feel like it was a gay movie made for straight people. Like it was this really heartwarming story of these two boys falling in love over like technically email, but like over text, over social media and not knowing who the other person was, who the other gay person was at school. And then there were these moments where they were both bullied and there was this like story arc and they fell in love and they kissed on the ferris wheel and it was a beautiful moment i loved it by the way i love that movie i made my roommate watch it he had never seen it and i think he grew up in one of the towns it was banned in and so i think that movie for a lot of us was like there can be a happy ending but for so many of us so many queer people that first queer relationship really does end in a sort of like tragic moment like you really never get that fairy tale like ferris wheel kiss you can but like for so many of us like very early on that's just not the way it pans out like there's that lack of support or there's that like you know lack of understanding from your peers or the people around you everybody in the film supported him and uplifted him and i think it was a great portrayal of love for somebody coming out which is lovely and it's why i loved it and it was the first queer film that i had ever seen in theaters so yeah Love, Simon, for the win. I think it's a beautiful film, and I'm excited to watch the queer film industry kind of expand and touch on those more difficult topics of feeling love and then having that be rejected. But overall, I think it was a really good icebreaker into like introducing queer films into like mainstream movie theaters and media. So that's my hot take on Love, Simon. All right, so Love, Simon, you have made it into the Queer Hall of Fame because you are the first movie to ever make me cry in a movie theater. That's a monumental moment. And today we are continuing on my journey into chapter four of my queer experience. And if you did not listen to last week's episode, I highly recommend that you go back and listen because today we are doing a pretty solid segue into mental health and how important it is to be surrounded by people who love you and support you in an environment that fosters growth and acceptance and love. And for me, I didn't have that. Not to say my family didn't love me. They love, they love me very much. I am the light of their life and the favorite child. Hi, mom. So when I first started to date men, yeah, we're at this part in my life. I started to realize that I was trying to create a queer fantasy within a straight relationship. I was trying to have that like softness and tender love that I got from my very first relationship that I could never find in men for some reason. Everyone take a wild guess as to why that is. I didn't like them. So it got to a point where I think I was on boyfriend number three. Yeah, I was on boyfriend number three. And there was just no click for me. Like that moment that I had with the first girl that I liked where I was staring at that text on my phone that was like, I like you and my world was making sense. There was fireworks giving birth to butterflies and rainbows. I could never find that with a man. And I started to think that there was never going to be something in my life that would make me feel again, like period, like kind of feel anything. There was this emptiness that started to like creep into my life like a shadow I had never seen before. And it was really scary because mental health was never really spoken about in my household. And I think it's because growing up, I was the middle child. And for a very long time, my parents kind of expected this perfectness out of me. And they always told me that if we see you trying your best, we know you're trying your best. And I figured out when I started to feel this emptiness, how to put on the front that I was trying my best. And I had this older brother who's super into like sports, kind of like a suave guy for a while. All the girls liked him because he sang in choir, the like, really low notes, the bass. So all the girls liked him for some reason. I don't know why, but I think he's cool. And then I had this younger sister who we are polar opposites. She was a cheerleader, dated the football players, you know, kind of popular by association of the kindest person I've ever met. And then there was me who was like none of that. I was athletic in the sense of I ran cross country, but I was also very quiet, very shy. I wasn't ever really in the environment where I was like surrounded by a lot of friends. I really thrived and I still do in one-on-one friendships. But at that point in my life where I had dated a girl, tried dating a guy, didn't work out, tried dating a guy, didn't work out on boyfriend number three, I had never felt more isolated in my entire life because I was forcing myself to experience emotions that I wasn't having. And it got to a point where I was so lonely, like I wanted to feel kind of anything. And in my first relationship, I kind of started to notice, I guess we'll throw in a trigger warning here, like scars on the arm, you know, like self-harm marks on her body. And I asked a lot of questions about it because I didn't understand. She kind of said, like the song lyric, it's better to feel that pain than nothing at all. And so when I lost her and I lost that thing that was probably the most fulfilling thing in my life, I wanted to feel something again. And so I fell into the routine of self-harm. And that's a very addictive and scary thing to start at such a young age. I think I was like 14 when I first started to hurt myself. And a large part of it was this cry for help because I had no idea how to talk about my emotions. I don't think I had experienced this level of lack of emotions. I think that's what depression is. I don't think it's this sadness. I think it's a void. And I was just trying to escape that void. And so for several months, I was just this empty, hollow thing. And I felt like I was on autopilot, like the world was happening to me and I wasn't really in control of where I was going or what I was doing, I was so checked out. And then I remember I was putting something away like into the microwave and I kind of reached up and I had gotten really good at hiding my self-harm scars at that point from my family. And I reach up to put, I think it was soup, I love clam chowder into the microwave and closed the microwave. And my dad, I'll never forget the tone of his voice. He goes, what's on your arm? And I think that sentence kind of brought me back into reality of, oh, like I'm a real human experiencing life and I'm just in this survival mode and like that tone that I've never heard my dad use before brought me back. And I remember he kind of got up and like lifted me off of the ground and like, put me in our kitchen chair and I had one hand on the wrist that had the scars and I held my hands really close to my chest as he tried to like open my arms. And in that moment, I literally looked at my father and I had seen a man I had never seen before. And I think at that point in my life, I realized I was so much more loved than I could have ever thought possible. Cause you know, you never really, we never talked about mental health growing up. We never talked about depression growing up because I don't think it was something any of us were waiting to experience. And so they never prepped that with me, which, you know, makes sense based off of how I grew up. And so we sat down at the kitchen table with my mom and my dad that night. And I kind of told them everything. I broke down, was like, I need help. I just need to talk to somebody i don't know what's going on with me i have no idea why this is happening and the response from that was kind of the response i had always hoped for in the we love you we support you we care about you so much kind of a way we had no idea you were going through this i don't want to pivot that into like you get so dark sometimes you don't realize there's so much light around you that like really people love you like my whole family loved me so much And it was really hard to escape that darkness. And I remember going to therapy and I remember being like, all right, what's the root of the issue here? And kind of discovering it was because I had convinced myself I was the only person on the face of the earth who had ever felt the way that I felt before. And the first time I was admitted to the hospital for attempting to take my own life, I remember sitting in front of a doctor at 30 years old. He was 30. I asked for some reason at 15. I was like, how old are you, man? And he was like, I'm 30. And I was like, we're just on a spinning rock, dude. And I was all like trying to explain to him where I was at mentally. And he was trying to tell me that there was passion and love and light in life. And I was trying to convince him that we were on a spinning, floating rock. And this is like a sentence I will always hate for the rest of my life because it completely invalidates every single human emotion that anybody is having at any age. He goes, you're only 15. And that just kind of wiped the slate and made me realize I wasn't really being listened to. Nobody was sitting down and fully absorbing the words that I was saying and like, hey, I'm feeling this way. And I vowed to myself I would never say that to anyone. You're only this age. Because no matter how old you are in life, your experiences and the emotions that you are experiencing from your surroundings are valid and they need to be listened to. And that's like the key to feeling supported is having someone or something that makes you feel listened to. And after I got out of the hospital, it was really awkward because I had to sleep kind of with my parents, which is something you never wanna do at 15. I had this inflatable mattress right below their bed that I slept on for like six months. And every night as I fell asleep, all I remember thinking to myself was like, I really hope my parents aren't like spooning right now <laughs> as I'm trying to fall asleep. But we talked a while after that of like, what could you of parents, as parents done to better support me in my time of like, dire need. And it wasn't to take everything away from me, like a phone or a social life. I wasn't allowed to really go anywhere, or do anything. And I think growing up and getting older, hindsight reflecting on how they handled that as parents and just being able to get older and have these conversations with them. Looking back, they were trying to do everything they could to preserve their kid. And I was trying to do everything I could to preserve feeling and like emotion And I remember my psychologist at the time, my therapist, pulling my parents aside and being like, I think she just wants friends. (laughs) Like, I think she just wants to go out and live a normal teenage life and be a normal teenage girl. But I literally just wanted to live a life that felt like it was going on a normal track. And there wasn't a single experience that I had had, I think due to my queer identity that felt normal besides the first ever interaction. And as I got older, and as I experienced more of high school, and as I got better about talking about my emotions, about realizing when I needed help, the main thing that clicked for me was that there are people out there who also felt like me at one point. And there was, there's, there was never an emotion that I was experiencing that somebody hadn't also experienced before. For a while, that fact was daunting but then it kind of made me realize there's so much more human connection in the world than I had initially like thought. Like, yeah, spinning, floating rock, but like all of us on the inside are kind of the same and we all function on the same wavelength of like emotions and experiences. I started to kind of accept who I was a little bit on the inside and think to myself, you know what? I'm no longer gonna date men to please my surroundings. I'm going to do what makes me happy. Crazy thought, I know. And so I started to kind of explore queer relationships even further. And I started to date girls again when I was around like 17, 16, 17. But I was very sleuthy about it because I'm honestly a genius in this sense. Who wants a life hack about how to secretly text your crushes? So here's what you do. I was 16 and 17 on independent study because my parents thought I needed time to like heal, which was good, and just kind of do school and do life on my own for a little bit. The kind of emotions that I experienced early on were really daunting for everybody. And so we were all in like fight or flight, survival mode, keep Maddie alive mode. And so we put, they put me on independent study, and I was like sitting there, in front of my mom by the way like in her middle school classroom doing my like homework you can access gmail through school computers and gmail has like a chat box option with other people who also have gmail and that app can be downloaded through a phone so i was like texting these girls that i would meet because i could go to campus for two periods out of every school week and so i knew a few people off of classes and we'd text and then I started to date these girls, but I started to date closeted Christian girls because those were the only types of people available to me. There was no one queer presenting that I had ever met that was like, yep, this is something that like I want to explore with you. And I think it's again, because of the environment that I grew up in. When you grow up in a very conservative area, it is very hard to find people who are okay with their identity, especially in high school. And I would text these girls and then I would go to school And I would see them with boys, but then I'd go home and they'd be like, texting me on the Gmail chat box being like, I only like you, I promise. So I think that's extremely damaging to like, early relationships because the foundations of like, trust and loyalty are just so blurred because you're hearing one thing and you're seeing another thing and you're feeling another thing. And that can be extremely confusing to early queer relationships because you're also trying to save face, I feel like in that age. At least I was. You're also trying to be like, oh, I'm bi. Like I could date men, but I only want girls and I only want you. As I got older, we got to a point with my parents where I was driving around with my mom because she liked to do that thing where we would just drive in circles. And we would drive around my neighborhood and we began to have these conversations where her mindset shifted. And that was so pivotal for me because it became a conversation of like, all right, This is the way that you should be. This is the correct way to live. After the attempt on my own life, or like the attempted attempt on my own life, I would say, I think everyone realized, all right, we must be in the wrong mindset. We need to do something to kind of preserve the relationship that we have with our daughter, our sister, our sibling, you know, all those things. And it became an open conversation. And I think I'm so proud of my mom for this. It must've been hard because she also grew up Catholic. I think most religions, keyword most, are becoming a bit more progressive, but growing up in her environment, I don't, the queer was not accepted at all. And so I think her driving around in circles in the neighborhood was her version of trying to understand where I was coming from. And it shifted in this conversation of, all right, I'm listening to you. I'm not just talking at you because she knows that when I get lectured, I check out. I'm listening to you. And that is all that I want parents to do, is to just unlearn a little bit, rewind, and listen. Because your kids are experiencing life at a wavelength I don't think anybody has experienced before. We have the literal entire universe at our fingertips. We could learn anything that we wanted immediately when we want to learn it. It's called Google, right? so when you have these kids who are having these experiences who are going through these emotions who you say i only had my space or i only had this or i only had that i only had the church to learn from i only had these experiences to learn from growing up i think parents are doing a better job i hope of sitting their kids down and being like i'm listening to you because that's all i needed when she started listening to me And I started explaining my feelings in an environment that felt safe. And when she started being more open-minded with who I was around, the leisure time that I had, me being like, hey, I'm getting straight A's. I'm a great student. I'm literally not breaking any laws. I need to experience life as a high schooler because that's what people do. She started to let me go a little bit, like coax me into the world. I think we just had this silent understanding of transparency where if i had an experience that was really tough on my mental health i'd be able to talk to her about it no judgment and as i got into my senior year after having these terrible experiences dating men i also had experiences that weren't particularly revolving around relationships that my parents turned into learning lessons, like I would hang out in her classroom every single day before I walked across campus to school, starting my junior year, I could walk across to campus two times a week, right? I met this guy in my computer science class. I'm not gonna name drop, but he looked like a vampire and I was in love with him platonically. I wanted to be this man, okay? Growing up with my mom as a teacher, I always thought that like weed was the equivalent to crystal meth. Like I had no idea the different effects of drugs. And I wanted to impress this guy so bad for some reason. And so he casually brought up, he was like, yo, one day we should walk across school. And he spoke like this to the recreational center And we should smoke together before school. And I was like, I do that all the time. I lied straight to this man's face. And one day, one morning, it was an early Monday morning. I snuck out of my mom's classroom, literally 15 minutes early. Okay. It was 15 minutes. I could have just had to pee for a really long time, 15 minutes. So I snuck across campus into the woods. I went into the woods with this boy and he pulled out a joint. And I was like, absolutely not. I don't know. Like where this drug was. I literally started to spiral and I was freaking out. And he hands me, he was like, yo, if this is too much for you, man. You can like have a cigarette. And I was like, oh, I know what those are. People smoke them in the movies. And so I lit the cigarette for the first time on the wrong side. Then he gave me another one and I dropped that one. And then he gave me another one. And then I writ that, lit that one on the right side and had no idea how to inhale it. So I physically coughed it out of my mouth. And somehow by the end of the school day, my FBI mother found out about this entire interaction. I have zero idea to this day how she found out that I was smoking in the woods with a random boy from my computer science class. But later on, I was drug tested. And guess what, mom? I passed. Anyway, so they, I had other experiences in life that they turned into learning lessons. And after that point, I think I had enough of like high school experiences because anytime it came to like drinking and smoking, I was like, you know what? I probably don't even know how, so I'm good. And I got into my senior year and my parents started to trust me a little bit more. And I met, oh my gosh, I met a girl, guys. Yeah, I did. They were ginger. Um, And to this day, they're my best friend. And I think this goes to show that like, when you're you grow up in the environment that i did as many times as i have said that before when you find another queer person who you have kind of any similarities with that are that's also open to being in an openly queer relationship your world kind of changes especially when i started to exist in an environment where my parents started to trust me and started to have that open communication with me i wasn't lying to them this first queer relationship was kind of introduced into my life and I never came out to anyone. I literally just showed up to school holding hands with this girl. And then that was like the history of it. And I actually had a crush on her for like a while. This is like embarrassing, cause they're, I I probably have gotten a text from them during this podcast. But I had definitely the biggest of our crush on them for so long, like all four years. They played the drums. I liked redheads, they were redhead. and introing Maddie's Riz, I walked up to them, like my senior year of high school, I had a phone, but it was literally like a baby phone, okay? It was on like parental lock. And so my way of asking them to hang out sometime, I was like, hey, are you allowed to give your phone number out to people? Like there was somebody telling them that they couldn't do that. And they were like, of course, that was kind of it. We literally professed our feelings for each other within like hours. And I remember telling myself, I was like, I'm gonna play it cool. I'm not gonna text this person for like a minimum of, I set a time of seven hours in my head for some reason, like that was like an appropriate amount of time before asking somebody for their phone number to texting them with it. Yeah, I waited approximately 30 minutes and text them was like, hey, this is Maddie in case like you forgot you gave your number to me earlier. (laughs) They were like, I know, (laughs) I remember you. We had so many mutual friends and we went on a secret date. This is actually probably the most clutch thing my brother's ever done for me. He covered for me and sat in a Mountain Mike's pizza shop for like two hours while me and this girl hung out at Target. And I remember we're walking out of Target in the most atrocious gay outfit you've ever seen, by the way, I was in this like black trench coat. I literally looked like an undercover detective on this date. We're walking out of Target and we're kind of doing the, like flirty, pushy thing. And I got nervous. I was about to ask this person to be my girlfriend because we had been talking for all of like 24 hours. So I knew it was love. And I go, hey, I have a question for you. And she like looked at me and I got really nervous. So I go, do you like ranch? Like the dressing, like the food, condiment ranch and they were like i don't think i've ever had ranch who had never had a ranch immediate red flag but anyway we had ranch and then i eventually asked them to be my girlfriend and it was really easy we flowed really well together and then my parents kind of got the inkling didn't overreact like last time what a win and i remember asking to have this person over so many times in a row that they were like hey Your siblings have studying to do tonight. So I made it a point to invite this person over the night that both of my siblings had someone over. So I was like, it only makes sense naturally for me to have a friend over, friend being girlfriend. And so my mom pulls me into her room. She goes, hey, your sister doesn't know that you're gay. And I was like, probably not, you're right. And she goes, just be gentle with her. Like, don't be overly PDA with this person. And I was like, oh my gosh. She knows because at this point in my life, I have accepted that my mother will know everything about me before I do. And she like read me to a T and knew exactly what was going on. So we had this person over and it was easy. They flowed really well with my family. They flowed really well with my brother's friends, with my sister's friends, kind of shy like me. And it was the first moment I had ever experienced in my entire life with my family around that felt normal in a romantic sense. Like my brother's friends were sitting on the couch. Me and them were sitting next to each other on the couch and me and my my sister and her friend were sitting next to each other on the couch. I was like, this is all I've ever wanted in life. And I was so happy. Eventually my parents were like, okay, it's like literally midnight. (laughs) She's not allowed in your room. (laughs) You have to get her out. And so I did. But the time that it for my parents to kind of unlearn was appropriate for the kind of trauma that I put them through as well. Like, that must have been scary. And I'm bringing this up because we've had so many conversations since then about their mindset and my mindset, and we both learned so much from each other that I'm, like, excited to have grandkids at this point because I know that no matter what, they're going to have that nurturing environment. And I know that like the parents that they have become, like they're still learning. It's so cute. Like my mom still corrects herself with pronouns and my mom is still asks me questions. You should have seen the look on her face when she like FaceTimed me and was like, guess what I'm doing right now? And I was like, mom, you're at work. Like I assume you're working. She like shows me all of her classroom filled with like little queer kids. And she's like, I run the queer club and she completely didn't prompt these children for the fact that like I'm her child. And so like three of them burst into tears and four of them like started screaming and it was the cutest thing ever. And I'm just like this story arc of my mother and my father just completely redeeming themselves is just so hopeful for me and like hearing stories of kids who have parents who are struggling with their identity. Because growing up, I always heard, you will always be my little girl. And when I first came out, my mom always kind of brought up the, I imagined walking you down the aisle. And they had all these preconceived notions of who I was going to be the second that I was born. Which I feel like is fairly fine for a parent to do to a certain extent, but they unlearned all of that. And they're so supportive now and lovely. and. They were very supportive throughout my first queer relationship. This was before Maddie decided to question their gender, and this was before going off to college and being thrown into a world that I had never experienced before. But I kind of want to end this episode on stories of people who have parents who are struggling with who they are, because it's important to remember this is your parents' first time parenting too. This is your parents' first time living too just like it is yours and i think we all have a little bit of something to learn from each other and that relationship that you have with your family it can be altered in a way that's supportive if you're a parent out there who's struggling with your kid's identity all you have to do is ask questions if they're open to answering them and there's also always this cool thing called TikTok. just type in hashtag wlw I'm kidding, don't do that. I'm kidding, don't do But there is Google. There's so many wonderful resources for parents who just don't know what to do. And there are so many wonderful resources for people who are struggling with their identity to kind of explore all of the beautiful options that we have today. But I do want to read a couple of stories of people who have parents who are struggling because it's all gonna be okay, I promise. I've lived it. Story number one, everyone, yay. We were really close friends and hiding our relationship. We had our first kiss at a sleepover. I really, really loved her. She broke up with me because she didn't think her parents would support it. We are still friends, but we got really distant, and I miss her a lot. That's so relatable. I mean, not anymore. I'm 23. Or 22. But first kiss at a sleepover. Yeah, it's hard when, like, you know, you can never control another human being or their decisions. And I think understanding, like... The pain it must have caused her as well. I'm sure this was not an easy decision. If you loved her and it ended, I think, you know, other people's lives are pretty out of your control. But it says you got distant and you miss her a lot. I would consider reaching back out and, like, also understanding that you're probably both going through a very difficult time. And that could be a really good learning experience of, like, supporting her through the fact that her parents might not support. Because... There's that like distance that you can't control. And there's that like love that you obviously still miss. If you were close friends beforehand, I would probably try and revisit that and be like, remember the friendship that we had. Like I'm always here supporting you no matter what. And I'm always gonna be here to like listen because I think that's what people need. So yeah, I'm sorry that you miss her. That sounds really, really heartbreaking. So story number two, my family's super religious, always does the Catholic practices and makes the family pray do the rosary together. We have all had the being gay is a sin talk and how God made us to be with the opposite sex because he made us to reproduce. And we can't do that with the same sex partner. I always just kind of disregarded anything my parents said about religion because I really didn't know what to believe. And a little bit ago this year, I met this girl that introduced me to her lesbian cousin. We clicked immediately and started dating a bit after. And obviously it was something I did without my parents' knowledge. Then about a month into us dating, my mom read my journal. I used this journal all the time because it helped my mental health immensely. And she found out about my girlfriend, took my phone, told me that I was grounded from it. Oh, wow. And I wasn't allowed to drive unless I was straight. And I wasn't allowed to talk to any gay people. And she kept asking me if I even believed in God and I didn't have an answer for her, which I think angered her even further. And now she's trying to make me pray at every family dinner. And when I don't, she makes some smart comment like, I'll remember this and doesn't talk to me for the rest of the night. I wasn't able to drive or get my phone back till I told her I wouldn't talk to my girlfriend anymore, and she even went as far as to tell my girlfriend's mom about us. She wasn't out, which made things bad on her end, because they are also very religious people, and Catholic, even more so than mine. But everything for her turned out okay as well. What happened? Like, between the end of the the making it okay? This sounds really traumatic, but... This is actually aligning really closely with something I experienced. The like, we're going to take pieces of this away until you kind of behave in the way that we deem is socially acceptable in our family. And I think the prayers are really difficult because, you know, I don't think we had the conversation yet of kids and parents and letting your kid figure out that religion on their own like the religious aspect of life on your own and I think it's good that now you're beginning to sort of question that because the older that you get in life the more like solidified that will become in like whether or not believing God is for you and whether or not prayer is for you but I think this is like the number one worst thing you can do as a parent because the more you take from your child the further you're pushing them away. And the snarky remarks of I'll remember this and doesn't talk to you, that's creating such a divide in your relationship between you and your kid and such a divide in the relationship that you have with like your family in general because you're also preaching these views, I'm assuming, in front of your other kids if you have any other siblings. And I think a lot of queer people do go into this survivor mode, I'm assuming, like you did, saying, hey, I'm not going to talk to my girlfriend. I'm not going to see my girlfriend i'm not going to talk to this person at all because you need to get that normal life back because you're losing your sense of normalcy my advice always is that you are never going to be in this environment forever you're going to leave and learn and grow in environments that support you and let you be who you are and it's okay to survive for a little bit and once you get out It's so much more comforting when you're around people who support and love you. You know, it is on your parents to learn how they want to proceed with losing you because the distance that they've created already, I'm assuming, is at the point where you don't feel comfortable opening up to them. And that's their loss. That's a parent's loss when you push your child away to the point of no return. Yeah, my advice for this person is just know that that's not the environment that you're gonna be in forever and it will get better one day. Now we have a question, everyone. How do you ask out a girl, but not knowing if she is straight or gay? Just asking for your opinion. This is the way that I do it. I don't know if I recommend my behavior in relationships like this, but I always just kind of start talking about how gay I am. Like I'll bring out a picture of like, that girl from Stick It, that gymnasts movie, and i'm just like how hot is she and then just kind of gauge the reaction just prompt a queer environment before just straight up asking and then if you know at one point if you know you know and if you don't you don't and that's okay like it's okay but like prompting a queer environment and providing like hey i'm this thing just so you know if you're if you're comfortable enough with yourself at that point in life to like kind of show pictures of pretty girls or like talk about girls or just be who you are and it's not scary and you're out, definitely. Talk about yourself, that's what I do. I love talking about myself, I'm kidding. Probably come out to her first and then provide that safe environment if that's also where she's at. But yeah, I think befriendment is step number one. If you're already friends with this girl, just know just provide that like hey you're safe with me if there's anything you want to tell me and then slide in I'm kidding but like yeah you always have to check first and having a crush on a straight girl is nothing to be ashamed of you can't help your feelings but yeah don't pursue abort mission for her. Thank you so much to anyone who sent me a question and everyone who was vulnerable enough to open up to me. And if I read your story, I hope that you're doing well. And I am always looking for more submissions. So if you have any queer stories or questions, my DMs are always open. You can find me absolutely anywhere at Westbrook because I enjoy consistency. And when I say anywhere, I mean anywhere. I cost 69 cents on Depop. And be sure to come back next week for a brand new episode about college because that is something I did attend and then leave. Don't forget to follow, rate, and review Closet Talk wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe for full video episodes. I'll see you next week. Toodaloo, everyone.